Well, good evening. What is going on? How's everyone doing tonight? Woot. All right. That's good. That was good energy. It's pretty good for the opening. I'm proud of you all. Thank you. So, hey, I'm Lyle. I'm one of the pastors here and just wanted to say thanks for joining us tonight as we worship together uh, here at Element City Church. If you're joining us online, welcome as well. You've got a host that's right there in the chat. So if you want to drop a question, if uh, you need prayer, if you want more information about the church, any of that, feel free to type that into the comments. Maybe even just type in there uh, where you're tuning in from tonight. We'd love to know uh, where you're watching from. We've had people watch from Russia, from Scotland, from Ukraine. Ukraine, like we've got people all over the world who are tuning in and joining us uh, digitally. So that's pretty cool. So uh, if it is your first time, we want to just say welcome and thanks for joining us. We've got a 10 minute party that's just for you after the service is over. And so uh, either Jack or myself will be back there. We'd love to meet you, hear more of your story. Uh, we call it the 10 minute party, not because we expect you to be there for 10 minutes. All right. So don't feel like you're on the hook. All right. Uh, we're only going to be back there for 10 minutes ourselves. So if you just want to be back there for a couple minutes, say hello uh, and get yourself your free gift, which is the best kettle corn. Say it with me. This side of the Grand Canyon. That's how good the kettle corn is, folks. Everybody knows the saying. That's how good it is. So we'd love to hook you up with that. Um, and if you're tuning in from home, I'm sorry we don't have kettle corn for you. We just, we don't have that, but you can text a phone number that's going to pop up on your screen, 520-340-6868. Text the word hello uh, to that number. You'll get a link. Tap the link. Fill in uh, just a couple things, your name, email, stuff like that. And then that way we can properly uh, connect with you and, and let you know more about us as a church and what we're all about. So... Um, I don't think there's too many announcements to start with tonight, which is nice. So let's all stand together. We're going to pray for the church of the week, which is Journey Church. Uh, we're going to pray for their pastor, Jim Roden. He's a great guy. Uh, but before we get into that, just there's something I was reading yesterday. And I want to read this over us tonight as we get ready um, for our service. Uh, and I should have had it ready. And you know what? I was right there. I know. <laughs> Got to get my life together. Sorry, Dan. I'm sorry. I let you down this time. So Psalm 85, I was reading this yesterday and I was just like, man, this would be, this is a great prayer for us tonight as well. So uh, I'll read this and then uh, we'll, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. So Psalm 85, starting in verse eight says, let me hear what God the Lord will speak for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. Let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. And so God, would your righteousness go before us tonight and make a way for us to enter into your presence. We thank you for the beautiful truth that we get to come before you tonight because of your son, Jesus, and the blood that he shed for us. That's what leads us into your presence. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. And so we enter before you, following after that righteousness, just desperate to, to linger in your presence, desperate to know you more. And so as we gather tonight and continue in this series uh, of living an unhurried life and kind of exploring what that looks like, God, we want to just slow down to your pace tonight. And so would you still our hearts, would you still our minds in this moment whatever distractions may be raging about, whatever frustrations uh, might have encountered us on our way to getting here tonight. We just wanna leave those things before your throne. And we wanna recognize that you're better, 
God, you're worthy of our attention. You're worthy of our affection in this moment. And so we're here to give it all to you. God, we thank you for Journey Church. We thank you for our friend, Jim Roden. Uh, just it, what a blessing he is to, to Tucson, his heart for this community. Uh, and I know that Jack and I have just enjoyed uh, over the last many years uh, getting to, to see him at different things around town. Uh, and so we pray over Journey Church and where you've got them right now. We thank you for all the vision, just the way that you've shaped them to be who they are. I know they've got such a, a heart to connect uh, with those who are in the disabled community. Uh, and so I, I know that that's an area where Jim, his passion is, and he wants to see it continue to grow as they minister uh, to a group of people who often get overlooked. And so God, not just there, but in every way, would you uh, enable them to accomplish every single good work that you have planted that church to do here in Tucson. And so would you continue your provision for them? Would you continue to move uh, in their community and bless them? And we pray that same blessing over us tonight, God, that as we encounter your presence, we'd be changed by that. So give us a heart that's ready to praise you. Give us a heart that's ready to receive from you as you speak to us. And so would your Holy Spirit come and do the work that only you can do. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Everyone said Amen. Bye. 
eyes. Yes, Father. So many of us can, can say tonight that we've known you as a father and we've known you as a friend, as a close friend. And for those who can resonate, Lord, I pray that tonight is going to be the moment we will become close to you as the father, as the friend, as the high authority, as the holy one, as the beautiful king and Lord. We praise you for your goodness and for your faithfulness. There's just so many things that you've done in our lives, God, to this place you've brought us. And you have blessed us. You have walked with us and you can, will continue to walk with us. And your word will always remain as a foundation. So God, would you speak to our hearts tonight? Would you transform us? Would you change us? Would you make us look more like Jesus so we can love people more like Jesus? May we slow down, calm our soul, our mind, so we can listen and we can learn. We praise your name, Jesus. We thank you. And we say all these things in your precious and glorious name. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, once again, welcome uh, to Element City Church. And thanks for joining us tonight. We're in the middle of a series. It's uh, week two of a series that we started last week uh, called Unhurried, Living More at the Pace of Grace. And uh, Jack just really, he kind of poured out his heart last week. How many of you were here to hear that? Um, and how many of you were blessed by that, by the way? Like, wasn't that really just, it was, it was beautiful just to hear him kind of talk about this journey that he's been on for the past eight years of trying to figure out what does it look like to just slow down and to live more at the pace of Jesus instead of trying to rush, rush through just every situation. Uh, and it was interesting, just a lot of the feedback that I heard, uh, even at dinner after service and throughout the week, just from multiple people, was that they were just really moved. Um, and they were really challenged by what Jack had to share. And so for me, uh, it's not an eight-year journey that I've been on, but uh, a couple years ago, you know how it is when uh, maybe your friends just come to you and like, hey, I think you might be interested in this, like, artist or maybe like you'd love to listen to this podcast and uh, so there's a person that just kept coming up where people were like hey I think you really would enjoy reading books from this guy his name is John Mark Comer he's up in Portland uh, I was like yeah sure and if if you know how any pastor is um, we've got like a stack of books that we're always like planning to read but like we've never read them and like 25 years pass and like you still have that stack of books that's only grown exponentially. Uh, and it's, Jack, can I get an amen, right? Like it's just, that's the reality. He's up in the bow. He's like, yes, um, I affirm that. Uh, so he was one of those guys where it's like, I'm just not going to buy the book until I actually make the time to read it. And so I did. I finally did. He had a book called Live No Lies that I bought it. I read it. I was blown away. So I bought some of his other books. And the second book I read was uh, the one that Jack mentioned last week. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And so Jack shared the quote from Dallas Willard that what must you do if you want spiritual formation to happen in your life? Uh, what he told John Ortberg, one of his uh, one of his friends and someone that he mentored, Dallas Willard, said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And so I read the book and I was just, wow. 
Um, we live in a culture that does not like to slow down. We live in a time where it's really hard to slow down and to be intentional about slowing down. Uh, and so for us, this is, just, this is a really important sermon series uh, because if you want to create space for Jesus to be able to actually speak into your life and to move into your life, that means you have to make some changes. That means that you have to do some things that are countercultural because the culture right now isn't telling you to slow down. The culture right now is telling you uh, that you're not going fast enough, that you need to do more. And that's just not true. I think so often we get caught up that we, we feel like we do need to do more. And the reality is Jesus is just saying, hey, can you slow down? I've got something I want to tell you. But, but we're too busy running after the next thing that he's like, and, oh, and then like, right, like his voice just trails off as we sprint away because we're, we're on to the next thing. And so tonight um, we're into to week two, as we mentioned before, and, and we're looking at this. We're looking at the practice of simplicity, the practice of simplicity. That's what tonight's all about. You might hear simplicity and you're like, okay, what's this going to be about? So let's just, I could, I could draw out the tension. I'm not going to do it. So let's give you some definitions right off the bat. What do I mean when I uh, say simplicity? Simplicity is this. Joshua Becker uh, defines it as the intentional promotion of the things that we value most and the removal of anything that distracts us from them. John Mark Comer uh, says it this way. He says, simplicity is limiting the number of our possessions, our expenses, our activities, and our social obligations on a level where we are free to live joyfully in the kingdom with Jesus. That sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds great. He adds to that this. He says, um, it's the way that we shape our life to create margin to receive the love of God and then to give that love to other people. That's what we want to be about as a church. That's who we want to be. We want to be that inviting community of Jesus followers who are commissioned by the gospel to go and make disciples by cultivating relationships that reflect the love of Christ. We've said that. We've been talking about that. And if we want to do that, we've got to get simplicity down. We've got to figure out how we can eliminate the things in our lives that distract us from the ultimate thing. And that's Jesus. That's going after him with everything that we have. And so our lives are cluttered. Like if we're honest, like we, we just, we're surrounded by clutter. How cluttered are we, you're asking, right? No? All right, that's fine. How cluttered are we? The average American home, and notice this is not for the rich person. This is the average American home, okay? The average home has over 300,000 items inside of it. We consume twice as much material goods today as we did just 50 years ago. And yet in that same time frame, the average home has tripled in size. And even still, with triple the space, 25% of people who have a two-car garage simply don't have room to park either car inside due to the clutter. Another 32% only have room to park one of their cars in their two-car garage. Another recent survey, this is staggering. It found that there is 7.3 square feet of storage space for every single American. 7.3 square feet of storage unit space for every single person in America. We could literally sleep our entire nation just in our storage units alone. Not to mention the debt that the average American, again, we're talking about the average, the average American has is $15,000 of credit card debt. And so here's the question, are we any happier because of this? 
Well, it depends. Uh, because what, what they found is that happiness does go up. Jack kind of mentioned this stat last week that um, if you're in poverty and you're living in poverty, your happiness will increase as your yearly income increases up to about $75,000. And here's the fascinating thing about that. That's talking about a household. That's not talking about an individual person. So if you're husband and wife and you're here tonight and you're like, sweet, we can raise that to 150. Like we're good. No, you're not. $75,000 is the hard cap that once you hit that level, they found that your happiness starts to stagger. And not only that, they have now found that when uh, your income goes up beyond that, for every amount that it's going up beyond, uh, your happiness level is actually decreasing. And so we're not happier. We're not doing better because of all of this stuff. And we don't need to be convinced that there's a problem uh, because stats like the ones that I just read, they don't really need much explanation, right? Like we hear it, we just kind of nod our heads and we're like, yeah, that sounds like us. And so last week, uh, Jack, I thought, did a great job of diagnosing our issue uh, and his comments that, uh, that really reflected the symptoms of what we all see in our lives. It, it really resonated with me and I know it did with a lot of you that we're all in agreement that we need to make some changes if we want to live happier, more fulfilled lives. And so that's what this series hopes for us to do. Uh, We're hoping that it will help us to identify some areas where we can begin to make changes to see increased fruitfulness in our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with ourselves, and then our relationship with others. And so why does simplicity matter? Why do we need to remove the things that distract us in order to intentionally promote the things that we value the most? And this is where uh, my major steps into play. So a lot of you have no idea. I was a business economics major uh, when I went to college back at U of A. I was a graduate of the Eller College of Business. Um, so business economics was my thing. A lot of people think, oh, did you go to Bible college? Nope. Did you uh, go get a degree in music? Nope. Um, I always loved economics. And anybody who's in business, like how many of you have studied business? Keep your hand up if you loved economics. Bingo. There's like two people who do. Like most people are just like, this doesn't make sense. I loved it. I nerded out over the stuff, right? So uh, I'll be honest, I prepared tonight like what economics teaches us about why I believe in the gospel and why I want to follow Jesus. And so I was talking yesterday with Anya and kind of sharing my thoughts and like, hey, walk with me through this stuff. And she was just like, What? She was so bored. I'm not even kidding. She was like, I don't understand what you're saying. And so I literally threw out half my sermon last night uh, and I decided to simplify, which is probably good when it's a message on simplicity. Um, So we're going to dive in. We're going to nerd out a little bit. All right. We're not going to maybe do five minutes of it, but we'll do a little bit of nerding out over economics uh, because I do think that there's some economic principles that help us um, see why simplicity matters. And so the, the, One of the huge principles, underlying principles in everything in economics is the topic of scarcity. How many of you have heard of scarcity before? Good. All right. Nice. We've got some familiarity with that. So here's a nice textbook economic definition of scarcity. It's the basic fact of life that there exists only a finite amount of human and non-human resources which are capable of producing a limited maximum amount. It's very textbook, right? Right there at the end, that limited, yeah, I get it. So what is it really saying? It's just saying that there's only so much of stuff that exists in all of creation. And what economics is, is it's really studying how much stuff exists and all of that and making sense of how we use it. 
And so it always just kind of made sense to me, but um, think of it this way. We live in Arizona. And how many of you grew up in Arizona? You learned about the five C's of Arizona and our economy. And uh, one of those C's, yes, still some people who remember this, is um, uh, citrus, right? I love an orange, right? I've just been craving oranges lately. Uh, oranges are something that they're not all that scarce. You go to the grocery store, you've got so many different types of oranges that you can choose, and we don't really seem to run out of oranges. Why? Because you can easily just plant more orange trees, especially here in Arizona or in Florida or in California. And so you just grow orchards of these things, you pick them, and the reality is the demand for oranges never really seems to outstrip the supply of oranges. And so oranges aren't really all that scarce, right? What about gold? Gold's pretty scarce compared to oranges. And that's why gold has a higher value is because we can't just, as much as we'd love to plant a little bit of gold in the ground and just grow a gold tree, we know it doesn't work that way. There's only a finite amount of gold that we can pull from the earth that we can exchange with other uh, people or other countries or other societies. And so gold has a higher value because gold is more scarce. Two things that are really important to us that are scarce. Time. Time is scarce. You have 24 hours in a day. That's it. How many of you have tried to add extra hours to the day and just found that you can't do it? You can't. But more important than time, here's something, a resource you probably don't realize is even more scarce than that. And that's you. You are scarce. You are scarce. You are a scarce resource. God created you individually. He created you uniquely. And he shaped you with a specific set of gifts and talents so that you could serve the kingdom of God, so that you can know him, so that you can be known by him, and you can make that love known to others. You are scarce. Your time is scarce. And yet because you're scarce, because there's only one of you, because there's only so much that you're capable of doing in the day, and how many parents are out there that you just wish you could be in more than one place at once? Can't happen. Because you're scarce. Your time is scarce. And so because of that, we have to prioritize our time. We have to prioritize our energy according to our highest values. And so as much as you may want to be the best at everything, there's only so much time that you have to invest in yourself. And there's only so much time that you can invest yourself into whatever it is that you're wanting to do. It's great that maybe you want to be a great father or a great mother or a great grandmother or a great spouse or a great boyfriend, maybe a great student, a great worker, a great boss. You want to be a great coach, a great mentor, a great gym buddy, maybe a great athlete. But the reality is you are scarce. Your time is scarce. And your attention is scarce. And so it matters where we prioritize those things. It's possible for you to say that your highest value is to be a great parent and to be a great spouse. But let's just follow the example here. If you prioritize developing yourself and your skills for your career because you want to provide for your spouse and for your kids, what your revealed preferences actually tell us is that you really value wealth or maybe you value security because you can't be everywhere at once. If you value being a great parent and a great spouse, that requires being present. That requires being there in the moment with your family so that you can teach in the right moments with your children, that you can pull them aside so that you can support them in the things that are important to them. 
so you could go to the baseball games. My dad showed up, always would fill me at baseball games when I was in high school, and I always pitched so poorly whenever he did. And I was like, Dad, you got to stop that. But my dad was there. My dad was a great dad because he was present in the moment. And so he revealed his preference that he really did want to be a great dad and a great husband because he knew how to punch the clock and leave work when he needed to leave work to be present. And so the reality is we are limited in the resources that we have. It's impossible to be the best parent while still being the best at your job and being the best at making money and being the best at all these things. You cannot do it. You will spread yourself too thin. And so we have to choose how to prioritize what matters most so we can invest our time in those areas. And that's what I love about economics. This is why it always made sense to me is because economics recognizes that life is full of trade-offs. There's no easy solutions. As much as we'd love for there to be easy solutions, they just don't always exist. But there are optimal solutions. And I believe that God's heart for you, God's heart for me, is to find that he himself is the optimal solution. That creating simplicity in your life, learning how to order it properly, will help you pursue him. And so in order to create simplicity, we need to identify uh, what's going to help us uh, find it. And so if you've got your phone, you can pull up the Bible app. We've got all the Bible notes there. If you've got your physical Bible with you, we're going to um, be in two different passages tonight. So I want us to start in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, this is Paul who's writing to uh, Caesarea Philippi. Uh, if you know anything about uh, the city, it was made up of a lot of former uh, Roman soldiers. And so because they were faithful servants to the Roman Empire, Caesar decreed that it was a tax-free kind of zone, and this became a retirement spot for a lot of um, soldiers, a lot of higher-ups within the military. And so this is the group of people that Paul's writing to. And he says this in uh, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you, ne- you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Often we hear this verse, uh, and maybe you're like me, maybe you just think of athletes and how often they love to quote this verse. I actually had a really good friend um, that I uh, was in college with. We had English class together, multiple classes, and he had tattooed on his arm, Philippians 4.13. He was on the football team, and that was just a verse that, that meant a lot. And so maybe uh, you're a weightlifter, you know, or maybe uh, you're into bodybuilding, or uh, maybe uh, you're a runner. Uh, I don't know, I I had a lot of athlete uh, friends when I was in college, and they loved to quote this verse uh, whenever they were about to hit the wall, right? Like, you know that you're about to hit the wall, and so what do you do? You need to push through, and so you pull this verse out, and you're just like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And you're just like, I'm going to push through. Or maybe you're the weightlifter, it's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me to push up this bar. Like, that doesn't, doesn't make sense, right? Like, who... Who gets to claim that? What if both teams and a, you know, like it just, the reality is um, Paul wrote this verse to tell us so much more uh, than you can lift a bunch of weight and set that weight back down, right? Like he, he told you that there's so much more that you could do than to, to drop that step back three, you know, when they're face guarding you anyway. 
Because this passage is is trying to, to tell us this. He's saying that I've been in situations where life was awful. In fact, if you open the book of 2 Corinthians, you can read. There's a long list Paul is willing to share of everything that he suffered physically, all for the glory of Jesus. And yet Paul also knew in his journeys what it was to see people step up and to provide and to give him everything that he needed. And he recognized the secret to self-sufficiency, something that we want to pursue in our society these days. And he said, here's the secret. You know what it is? It's that I can do all things through Jesus who gives me the strength to do it. And so if you're suffering in life, you can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength to do it. If you're seeing abundance and God just seems to be blessing every single time you even sneeze, it's because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. That's a profound, profound thing that in any and every situation, we can also learn the secret and that's contentment. Like we need to learn contentment. And so this is the first thing to see. If you wish to live a life of simplicity that's centered around prioritizing the life and the way of Jesus, then you must learn to be content. You must learn to be content. And notice Paul says that he had to learn how to do it. It's not something that, that comes naturally to us to just trust that we can do everything through Christ. But what Paul's telling us is when we do, we find that that contentment gets us on the road to simplicity. Because the truth is it really takes a lot of effort if you think about it. You have to wrestle through a lot of complexities before we can actually implement some simplicity into our lives. And so wrestling through that, it's no uh, exception. Joshua Becker, uh, the guy that I quoted earlier, um, has become a leading figure in the minimalist movement. So you might hear minimalist and you're thinking minimalism and maybe you're thinking architecture. Anybody's mind go to architecture, right? You see a picture and it's usually a black and a white room and it's like this big empty space and there's like one designer couch with one designer coffee table and one lampstand. Uh, like that's one form of minimalism, but Joshua Becker's about uh, so much more than that. Becker uh, was a pastor in Vermont uh, back in 2008. And so he woke up one Saturday morning and his wife said, honey, I need you to clean the garage. To which he responded, great, I'll be happy to do that for you, sweetheart. And so he goes into the garage and as he's going into the garage, his young son is like, daddy, can we go play? He's like, sure, let's go play in the garage together. You can help me clean out the garage so we can help mommy out. And uh, you know how long that lasted, right? Like about five minutes and, and his son was just checked out, he's gone. And so he's in his garage. He's just kind of taking account of all of his stuff as he's cleaning it out. And um, he just felt this weight settle upon him. Several hours later, as he's still at work, he looks in the backyard and he sees his son. It's just dejected because his kid just wants to play with him. And he wants to go play with his kid. And yet he, all, he, he knows he needs to clean out his garage. And he realized, I have too much stuff. I just have way too much stuff. I have to get rid of a lot of this stuff. This is not good for me. And so since then, uh, as he kind of went on this journey, he started a website, becomingminimalist.com. And you can go there, you can read all about his journey. Uh, But since then, he's managed to downsize his life by 75%. And he, he loves to write about ways that we can find simplicity in our own lives So what? So that we can remove the things that distract us from the values that we hold most dear to our heart. And this is what he said about discontent and how that leads us to just accumulate things. He says, our discontent is evidenced in our excess. That's how I say it. 
when you are discontent and you don't have financial means, then it looks like greed. It looks like jealousy. But when you're discontent and you have the financial means, then it looks like overflowing closets and drawers and garages that we can't park in or an extra storage unit that we're storing our stuff in because we're discontent. We think that that thing is going to solve our discontent and fill that void. And so we go buy it and we bring it home. But then we realize it doesn't fill the void, so we just go buy something else and we can just keep buying, trying to fill that void rather than sitting in that discontent and discovering where I'm going to find real contentment. Doesn't that describe our culture so well? That here's Paul saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's the secret to contentment right there. And yet we're busy out there thinking that we have a console-shaped hole in our soul or maybe a golf club-shaped hole in our soul or we need that new rifle or that new car or that new book or I need that relationship or I need that person to notice me. And we think that if we get that thing, it's going to plug that hole, it's going to fill it. And yet what we've all discovered time and time again is that it doesn't. And so there's another economic principle that's at play here. That's called the law of diminishing returns. And so uh, that's where Becker uh, is saying that we, we f- when we embrace the law of diminishing returns, we recognize that that void will never go away. Because um, if you think about a device, right? Like you get your new device and maybe you're really excited about it. You see the keynote and they're like, oh, you can get 16 cameras on this phone now. And so they keep adding cameras. Like it's crazy, isn't it? Uh, and so they, they just, they love to sell you all the new features and you've got to have that device and you get the device and it's great for a while. Or maybe you get the new car and it's shiny and it's fancy and it smells good. So you want to bring all your friends in and like, right, we sit them down next to us and like, look at all the features in my car, you know, but a year into having your new car, you're not exactly inviting everybody to come sit in it with you because you want to show off all the features. The new car smell certainly isn't there anymore, right? And so over time, what happens? We start to see the new thing that's coming out and then it's got that, that new shiny feature that just begins to attract us and we're like, ooh, I must have that thing. And it just continues to pull us. And so we get it and we just continue to repeat the cycle because we never learn from the law of diminishing returns. And so C.S. Lewis, he said this, he said, if I find in myself desires which cannot be satisfied by the things of this world, then the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Or St. Augustine, the way he said it, our souls are restless until they find our rest in thee. You see, the law of diminishing returns points me back to the gospel because what I found is that Jesus is the only place where I'm able to experience unending contentment and unending fulfillment. The gospel is the only place where that was meant to be found. And we need to see that. We need to recognize that. And we need to lean into eternal hope of the gospel because when we start to recognize this, we begin to reject the pull that materialism has upon us. And so we can sit in the moment where it's like, man, I really want this thing. But then we can actually take a step back and count what the true cost is of being able to acquire it and if it's worth acquiring or not. Think about how many times it's happened in your life where you've wanted that thing, and so you finally get it just to find that, that having it fails to bring the satisfaction that your soul is longing to experience. 
And so John Mark Homer, he said it this way, he said that the desire for more is an engine for hurry. Because as we want more, what do we have to do? We have to do more work to get more money, to get more things that still just don't satisfy us. Why? Because we weren't meant to be satisfied by those things. We were meant to be satisfied in the gospel by Jesus. True and lasting satisfaction can only come through an unhurried life that's lived in communion with Jesus. And so a way uh, that you can challenge yourself to arrive there, maybe a little more quickly, is just to force yourself to declutter. And so, yes, I know that that means getting rid of things. And that can be difficult because how do you identify what you don't really use anymore, what's important to you that's worth keeping? I know it's tough. Again, I said it earlier that it takes a lot of complexity to arrive at a simple solution. Behind the scenes, you have to work out the details and figure it out before you can implement the simplistic solution. And so this isn't a sermon that we're going to talk about how to declutter. Um, So maybe write a note down in your phone. Jot down something that maybe this week you'll want to spend some time researching how to declutter. Because there's some great principles out there. I mentioned Joshua Becker and his website, becomingminimalist.com. That's a good place to start. Um, a lot of people talk about, was her name Marie Kondo? Right? I see a couple nods. Marie Kondo, and she has her organization, uh, her method of organizing. Um, so there's a lot of practical help that's available to help get you onto the path uh, to declutter wisely. But here's what Joshua Becker kind of cautions. He says this, the greatest value is when we don't just stop at, oh, I can't get rid of that thing. How many times have you tried to declutter and you're like, yeah, I've got to hold on to this? Right, it's inevitable because the reality is there are things that you should hold on to. But what he says, the greatest value is to not stop there, but to begin to ask the question and really ponder, why is it so hard for me to get rid of that thing? Why is it so difficult to do it? Um, Sometimes he says maybe it reminds you of a difficult season of life. uh, And so you bought the thing during that season to help you cope. And getting rid of it means that you're getting rid of something that really meant something to you. Other times it uh, could be the opposite of that, that it represents something that came from a great season of life. And so there's this nostalgia attached to having that item. But ultimately, what many times it reveals is that we're, we're still looking to things or to that thing to provide security for us. And so let's turn to Luke chapter 12 because Jesus has some good words for us here. If we're looking to things to provide security for us, we're going into a well that's going to eventually run empty. That's what he's about to warn us here. So Luke chapter 12, verse 22. This is actually, uh, I could have gone to Matthew 6 because he says almost the same thing. But hey, the Sermon on the Mount, it's, uh, it's in Scripture twice. So, you know, let's go with it. So Luke chapter 12, verse 22, Jesus said to his disciples this. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you're going to put on. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't have storehouses. They don't have a barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value to to God are you than the birds? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of his life? If you look at the direct translation, it's actually which one of you can add a foot to your, like a cubit to your height? I know Jack's been praying that prayer for a long time. The Lord has not answered it yet for him. But the Lord will answer it in heaven. He can agree. Amen. That's right. So which one of you can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. 
They don't toil, they don't spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Jesus is saying this, Solomon, the richest king to ever live. Think of all of the golden stuff that he set up in the temple, all the golden articles of clothing that he could wear, all the beautiful things that he liked to accumulate. As beautiful as all that was and as many heads were turned by Solomon, picture when you're standing in front of a field of wildflowers and how much more beautiful it is to just look at them when they're all in bloom. That's what Jesus is saying. If God so clothes the grass, which is alive today in the field, but tomorrow you gather it up and throw it into the fire, how much more so will he clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. Don't seek what you're to eat, what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that even those who don't know God, who don't care about God, who aren't pursuing God, still get to receive the benefits that God provides his people. We call this God's common grace. The fact that each and every one of us gets to breathe, that's a gift from the Father. Every breath that you take in is another moment of life that's a gift from the Father. And he gives these gifts to all people. So if he's going to provide all of that to those who don't even seek him, how much more is he going to provide for you? And so Jesus wraps it up with this. He says this in verse 31. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Thing we need to see here, the second thing, that the great enemy to cultivating a life of simplicity is our lack of trust. And I I took time. I'm, I'm phrasing this intentionally. It's our lack of trust that God is good, that God is faithful, and that God will provide what we need when we need it. God is good, God is faithful, and God will provide what you need when you need it. That doesn't happen on your own time frame. I've lived that out, I've experienced that myself. It's frustrating. And what happens for most of us in our souls is that when there's something that we think we need that God's not providing, we begin to take matters back into our own hands. And so we reject the simplicity. We reject the values that we should prioritize that God wants us to live in so that we can start to provide some security for ourselves. That's what really is happening there. That's a great enemy for us when it comes to pursuing the life that God wants us to live in Christ And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is how then do we seek the kingdom of God? How do we seek first the kingdom of God? And so John Mark Comer, he says it pretty simply. Uh, I love this. We pursue God's presence and we pursue God's pleasure. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. We pursue God's presence first and foremost, and then we pursue God's pleasure. His presence, A.W. Tozer uh, referred to this as this constant conscious communion with God that we live every moment of our lives with this awareness that God is there in that moment with us. The psalmist in Psalm 27, four says it this way, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Like Jack said last week, you cannot love in a hurry. The psalmist here isn't in a rush to love God. No, the psalmist has made the pursuit of God and his presence a priority. And so pursuing the presence of God, it means that we delight to linger in the presence of God. It means we aren't in a rush to sing a few songs to him, to read a few Bible verses, and then we move on with our week. 
means we're not content on uh, maybe a couple times a week to open the Bible app and to read the verse of the day and to say a prayer and then just quickly move on. It means that we delight to stop and to just sit in God's presence and to live with this awareness that God is with us. And so if we want to seek first the kingdom, we have to get rid of this line that separates the sacred and the secular. If you see prayer and worship as simply practices that you just devote your full attention to in the moment, then what do you do when you're mowing the lawn or when you're checking your email or when you're brushing your teeth? Every one of those moments must become just as holy as reading scripture or as engaging in prayer or singing songs of worship or going to church. Because if we maintain this sacred and secular divide, we will inevitably keep Jesus at the margins of our lives instead of allowing him to become the center. Just do the math. Most of our time is spent doing what? Sleeping, working, cooking, running errands. And so our life must become prayer. Our life must become worship. And that's how we can get rid of that divide. The interesting thing though is that the more that we pursue God's presence, the more God reveals to to us uh, the things that bring him pleasure the things that bring God joy. God's greatest delight is in his son, Jesus. And so when we worship God, what are we doing? We worship the son, we worship Jesus, because that's who God points us to. That's who God takes delight in. God delights when people come to a saving faith in his son, Jesus Christ. God delights in people repenting of living according to their own ways and their own values, and instead choosing to follow after his way. God delights in us when we delight in him. And so do you see how it becomes a cycle that feeds itself, that the more that we delight to be in the presence of God, we understand his heart. And the more that we do that, God delights to give us joy when we just delight in him. And so we learn the pleasures of God as we pursue the presence of God. And somehow in the midst of all of that, that's where we find true joy. That's where the life is. That's where we wanna be. And so how do we get there? We have to get there by embracing this life of simplicity. And so we defined it earlier, Joshua Becker again, he said it was the intentional promotion of the things that we value most and the removal of anything else that distracts us from those things. John Mark Comer, again, it's limiting the number of our possessions. That's right, we sometimes have to get rid of stuff. You have to learn how to be disciplined and say no to getting some of the things that you may very well have the money to buy because you you recognize it's better to not get that thing and to not let materialism have that grip on my soul and on my heart. And so we intentionally limit the number of our possessions. We limit our expenses. We limit our activities and our social obligations to a level where we're free to live joyfully in the kingdom with Jesus. That's the way that we shape our lives so that we can create margin to receive the love of God and then to give that love to others. That's the type of church that we want to be. Those are the type of people we want to be, isn't it? Wouldn't you love to be known as that type of a person? Again, it takes some complexity on the back end to get to this place, but it's worth it because the more that we get to linger unhurried in God's presence, the more that our values will shift and realign themselves to where Jesus becomes king. That prioritizing, pursuing his kingdom 
that becomes the source of the good life for us. And so as we begin to strip away everything else that doesn't matter, the, the things that only distract us and keep us from experiencing this level of contentment and this joy that comes from it, we find that simplicity, it's, it's just, it's a worthy pursuit to create that space for us to receive the love of God and then to give it to others. And we don't have time to go into it tonight, but ultimately that's, that's a huge byproduct of simplicity. I want you to see that it's generosity. That when we begin to simplify our lives, when we declutter our minds with the stuff that doesn't matter, when we declutter our lives of the stuff around us that doesn't matter, it frees us to suddenly begin to see the needs that other people have. And so you're gonna notice things that you never noticed before. You're gonna notice needs that people have before they've even said anything about it. And how good does it feel that if you've simplified and gotten rid of the stuff, if you've lived within a budget, when you're sitting on a fat stack of cash that you can hand out and help out the people who really need help in that moment. And they never have to even know that it was you who did a thing. That's the best, I'm telling you. When you get to be the hands and the feet of Jesus and bring that love into someone's life and just let them live with that awareness that God still sees them, that God sees their needs, that God meets their needs, and he gets to do it through you. Man, that's the life that we all want. I'm telling you. And so we've got to find this simplicity. We've got to learn to order our lives in that way so that we can be the people that God has always called us to be. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father, um, it'd be so easy just to even rush through this moment and just to pray a prayer and uh, get to the last song and, and, and get out of here. And yet, God, um, we want to practice what we're preaching this month. We want to be unhurried people who just want to linger in your presence. And so just now, even in this time, uh, would you just reinforce maybe one thought from this message that you want each and every one of us to take to heart, to begin to wrestle with tonight, to begin to work through and figure out how we can implement it into our lives. Because we do wanna be people who, who order things properly, people who prioritize the greatest thing, that's you, God. That's your presence. That's knowing you. That's being known by you. And yet, if we're honest, it's just so easy that the pace at which we have to live our lives, uh, we miss out on those moments when you just want to have time with us, when you want to speak over us something, when you want to teach us something that would absolutely change our lives if we would just hear it and put it to practice. And so God, it's not that I've said anything that's so important that, that people need to hear and implement it all. But what it is, Jesus, is you're after our heart. And so you, you care how we order our lives. And you want to make sure that we put you at the center, and that we learn to, to strip away all the excess that doesn't matter, that keeps us from experiencing more of you. And so whatever that may be, God, whether that be uh, clothing, shoes, social media, YouTube, Netflix, gosh, there's so many things that distract. But in this moment, God, would you begin 
to just help us dial in to your Holy Spirit and how you're calling us uh, just maybe to simplify in a couple of areas to begin to create that space where we can experience your love for us. So thank you, God, that you do love us. Thank you that even when we get this so badly wrong, you're always there. You're always ready to receive us when we're ready to come back to you. So God, just give us the grace. If, if that's uh, someone who's here tonight, they felt like they've tried it, they've strived, they worked so hard to try to please you, and they felt like they failed. Would they just see how kind you are? <laughs> just you're, you're always there to give us yet another chance to get this right, to give us another moment where we can come back to you, where we can sense and be just embraced by your love be changed by that so that we can uh, just begin to experience that good life that comes from knowing you. And so Lord, just continue the work that you're doing now. May your Holy Spirit continue to speak to us, not just tonight, but tomorrow, throughout the week. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.
Forward of Jesus, it's His grace that holds you now. It's not the expectations of others that have been put upon you. It's not your past. It's not your future. It's His grace that holds you. Jesus, we're so grateful. 
That's the hope of the gospel. It's not in our effort, our energy of living a hurried life and trying to stack up enough good things. It's living in the rest of the grace that holds us now. So before we move on from here, I just want you to take a moment to pray. God, how do you want me to take a step toward simplicity, toward decluttering? Ask him, what would that look like this week? Spirit, may you have your way in your people and in your church that we might be everything you want us to be and nothing shy of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, it's so good to, to gather with you here or to have you tune in online. Um, I just invite you into this journey of living a more unhurried life. It is not easy. It is not for the faint of heart. But it is for the followers of Jesus. And that's what we want to be. Not just a fan, but a follower who's living out these rhythms and practices so that we reflect more and more, receive his love, and reflect that more and more to the people around us. So I just invite you into that journey. Take your next step in that and enjoy the process, even though it might be challenging at times. Especially when you're thinking about decluttering. Oh, I think about my own garage. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Like, it's, it, this is just where the rubber meets the road. Like, it's the real deal. And just invite you into it. So, uh, grateful to have you here. Thank you for tuning in online. Thank you for all of you who partner with us. We don't pass a plate, uh, just so you know, especially if you're new. Uh, if, if you want to be a part of the kingdom movement that is Element City Church, uh, we invite you to participate in that. It takes real money to do real ministry. We tell people that, and we have a couple different ways. You can give on the app. You can give online. Uh, you can give in, in giving boxes in the back if you want to partner with us that way. Thank you to all of you who do that. Uh, we kind of laid out a vision a, a few weeks ago that we're trying to get to the place of being over that 300000 annual budget and trying to get to that place of having 300000 in a reserve for a phys future facility fund. And so we're making our way toward that and invite you to be a part of that process if you want. Uh, we love our volunteers around here. We have volunteers in worship and tech and e-kids. I just, I, I'm so proud of our e-kids ministry. We had 29 kids here last week. That, like, guys, you don't understand. Like, we had six a year and a half ago. So, like, God has been growing that, which is awesome. We have a lot of babies, which is awesome. Um, and we have a lot of people who have stepped up to help the babies, which is awesome. But we have big kids who need some love, too. And so if you're interested in being a volunteer with our eKids ministry, we'd love to, to invite you to be a part of that. Me just serving one Sunday a month 
investing in. We'll train you with that. But if you have a heart for the next generation, uh, we care about the next generation. We want to pass the faith on to them, not just ourselves. And so if you want to talk to Jen about that, talk to myself or Lyle. If you're here and you're new, uh, we'd love to meet you at the 10-minute party. Lyle will be back there. Uh, it'll last 10 minutes. You don't have to be there the whole 10. You get free popcorn. And uh, those of you who call Elements Home, don't go there because that's not for you. It's just for new people. Uh, so if you're new, we'd love to meet you back there, hear your story a little bit. Uh, we have a group of people that go out to dinner every Sunday night after service. They'll be there in about 20 minutes or so. It's El Taco Tote. Is it Tote or Tote? Tote. El Taco Tote. Okay. Uh, El Taco Tote off of Wilmont, uh, just south of Speedway. Uh, that's where we're going tonight. Uh, we invite you there. And then our next after party is coming up March 19th. I mentioned we love our volunteers, and if you are a volunteer in any capacity around here, check your email or go on the app tonight and sign up for our party, our appreciation party at Roadhouse next Saturday for volunteers. If you're asking about wanting to see a free movie and you haven't volunteered, I just told you how you could volunteer with eKids. And I'll invite you if you want to participate in that because we need some people. So if you want to come talk to me about that, then I'll throw in a free movie. Okay, so. We love y'all. Have a wonderful, wonderful week ahead. May God continue to move you in the journey of living that unhurried life. God bless you.